What's going on, South End? Good to see everybody. Come on, give Jesus a big hand clap today. Aren't you glad to be in church? I am glad to be here. Love, don't you love Sid? Just love you so much. You're doing so good. Um, just so proud of you. Just watching her grow over the last few years, and now she's sharing about money and finances and just, just you know, ripping people's hearts out up here. I mean, it's awesome. It's awesome. Give it up for your pastor, Pastor Matt, here. Stand up, Pastor Matt. <clears throat> He's all by his lonesome. His wife, my wife, are all but they're in Seattle, Washington. Uh, my wife's preaching up there, doing a conference, a women's conference, and preaching today and tonight, and they'll be home tomorrow. So uh, we're eating Chipotle all weekend. So it's fantastic. <laughs> hey, I want to address, um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Troy. My wife and I are the senior pastors here. And uh, I figured as the senior pastor, I wanted to address this month, you know, um, this month has been designated by culture as Pride Month. And I want to talk about it for a minute to help you understand, first of all, where we stand as a church, how we're addressing these issues, but also to help you be equipped to be able to, to, to answer questions, have the conversation, and feel bold and strengthened to stand strong in your Christianity, because that's what, what is happening in the world right now is it's not about homosexuality. It's not about transgender. Um, it's about the enemy trying to steal your conviction. And I'll just have to be honest with you. I, I can't do anything but believe the Bible. And so I'm not going to back away from the scripture ever. Uh, I've been challenged a lot in the last three years, but in the last 21 years as a, as a pastor, there's been many times in, in my ministry where people have challenged me. You know, you, you need to change the Bible. Uh, you need to adapt the Bible to culture. See it all over social media. So what is this month about anyway? Why, why, why is our world dedicated an entire month when Christmas only gets one day? Um, well, it, it's not that homosexuality or the alphabet mafia or any of that is the gravest sin. The, the, the most wicked sin is pride. In Proverbs chapter 16, the Bible says pride comes before destruction. If you read, there's a book called The History of Civilization. And if you go back and you study every civilization in history, specifically the ones that have failed, that no longer exist, it started with homosexuality. Then it went to pedophilia. And then after pedophilia, they, they amped up the destruction of children. And whenever that happens, when you see this pattern begin, understand that our culture, our nation is at a tipping point in our decision. And I just want to let you know, it's, it's not the government, it's not whether we put the right president into place, it's whether the church stands up in the community and shares the scripture and is, has conviction. That's what it's all about. It's about you. It's about you in your schools, in your job, in your families, standing strong and be willing to have people walk away from you because of what you believe. And it's, it's a difficult thing. It is difficult, and it's a price to pay, but it's, it's a fruitful price. So uh, Proverbs chapter 16, pride comes before destruction. Proverbs 11 says that pride leads to shame. Shame is a disease of the soul. Guilt 
is a wrongness of doing. Shame is a wrongness of being. Guilt always leads to shame. And so when you see a culture uh, removing God out of, out of the situation or out of the community or trying to remove God, basically what they're saying is, I want to be God, which is what pride is. I, I make my own choices. The Bible's not going to tell me what gender I am. God's not going to do that because I get to pick. Okay, when you, when you start thinking that way, what you're saying is, I'm God. Very dangerous. Because it leads to shame. It leads to destruction. The third thing that pride does is it puts you at the end of the spear of God. In, in, in 1 Peter and James chapter 4, the Bible says that pride, God resists the proud. It doesn't say he corrects the proud. No, he resists it. Lucifer, one of the three archangels, was kicked out of heaven because he was prideful. He didn't, God didn't correct him. He removed him. The word resist means to be in opposition to. It means to be in battle array against. And so when you decide to become God, then you are saying, I resist God. I, I determine my own truth. Okay, that's a dangerous place to be because there is one absolute truth, and it's the Scripture. And we can't walk away from that. So I just want you to let you know, as a church, we won't back down from those things. Because we, we, listen, listen to me, listen to me. I know you're excited about it, but listen to me. It's because we love people that we're not going to back down from it. Because I know, I know we'll be touted as you don't love people, you're an unwelcoming church. And if being biblical is unwelcome, we're going to stay biblical. Okay, because that's, that's the criticism that Christians get. That's the criticism that you get is, well, you can't tell me how to live my life, okay? Jesus sat with sinners. He didn't behave like them. And so you have to make a decision. Is your conviction more important than your convenience? And sometimes that means you got to stand up for some stuff. And I can tell you, as a pastor, I'm with you. You stand up, I'm with you. We're going to be with you. We're going to support you. We're going to help you, whatever it needs. Whatever you need, we'll be here for you because that's the church that you're a part of. Amen? Now you can give God a big hand for that. Isn't that great? <clears throat> so that's not my message. So just put a period at that. Put that over to the side. I may preach something like that, talk about that in the next few weeks. But we're in a series that's going to be three months long, and it's what does the Bible say about it? And today I want to talk about mental health, mental health. And I want to tell you a little bit about my story, about what happened to me 16 years ago. I wrote a book about it, and this is not a book plug. I'm not trying to sell books. I don't care. You know, it really doesn't make any difference to me because all of the resources go directly into missions. So all the books that Penny and I write and sell, none of the money comes to us. It all goes right back into the missions. It goes right back into ministry. And so I wrote this book called The Panic Room. And it's my story. It took me about, what you'll find in a few, it took me about 12 years to navigate these panic uh, attacks that I, were, I was having. And so um, this book is not a self-help book. You read this and everything's going to go away. No, this is a book to say, oh my gosh, Troy Maxwell is jacked up like me. If he can do it, I can do it. 
And so it'll, it'll help you. Who wants this book? I'll give you a copy of it if you want it. Raise your hand if you want this book. Okay, come on up here, Cam. This is yours, buddy. Hey, welcome. First time at church, you get a free gift. All right, awesome. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. They'll be on sale back there. Matter of fact, somebody bought a bunch. If you can't afford it, they'll give it to you for free. Um, if you can afford it and want to buy some, uh, one for somebody else, go for it. It'll bless somebody and help them. So like I said, in, in 2006, our church, we started in 2002. So in 2006, we've been going for four years. We were a mobile church, so we haven't always had buildings. As a matter of fact, we were mobile for nine years. What that means is we kept all of our sound equipment, all of our kids' equipment, everything in storages, and on Saturday, we would put them all in a U-Haul. We would go to an elementary school. We had a team of 50, 60 people that would set it all up for church. We would have church on Sunday, pack it all back up into U-Hauls, take it back to the storage, repeat every Sunday until God showed us a piece of property in 2006. So I was driving back and forth from my house to the little elementary school that we were meeting at, and so Every time I would drive by, my daughter's here on the front row, I would look at this piece of property with my three kids in the car, and it's like, that's going to be our property. So I decided one day to call the owner, and I said, hey, um, I feel like the Lord is giving us your property. <laughs> and he hung up the phone on me. So I guess it wasn't the Lord for him yet. And I was praying for him that he would hear the voice of God. Uh, Dr. Ralph Mello, super guy. Uh, now, our church at that time was about 300 people. We had about $80,000 in the bank, which wasn't enough money to buy a $1.5 million piece of property. And so I'd call them occasionally and say, hey, you hear any prayer, anything, any God talking to you about anything, Dr. Mello? And he'd say, absolutely not, Troy, $1.5 million, not going down in price. And so I'd say, how about we split the, the property up? And we talked and talked and talked. And, you know, I had three young kids under 10 years old at that time. Um, I'd, I was traveling some, doing some ministry, and kind of it all came to a head because he finally gave in and said, I'll sell you the property, I'll finance it, but you got to come up with $200,000. So we were about $120,000 short, which seemed like $120 million at the time. You know, with just a small church, we were having two services in a, in a mobile facility, you know, a cafetorium, you know, that smelt like, you know, third graders. And so uh, if you have one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, so this all came to a head. I'd been traveling all week long. I'd been in Guatemala preaching, and I came back on Thursday to take a group of 30 adults to a marriage retreat in Atlanta, Georgia. I went Thursday night, so I flew 10 days in Guatemala, preached like two or three times a day, came home, took this crew to, to Atlanta, came back on Saturday morning to preach on Sunday morning, and I remember it vividly because I bought this brand new pair of boots. I was so excited, you know, because the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. So, <laughs> and so, uh, so anyway, I was excited about it. I woke up on that Sunday morning, and I don't, I mean, I felt weird, like something on my stomach was upset, my head was hurting, my heart was racing, and I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can preach. Like, this feels, and I didn't tell my wife. I just, you know, because at this time, we didn't have a teaching team. So I was it. There were no other options. It was either me or not have church. <laughs> that was our, that was the system at the time. And so I didn't tell her. I get to church. 
You know, I'm thinking maybe it'll just go away. Maybe I just don't feel good. Maybe I ate something bad. You know, I prayed. You know, I thought maybe, maybe somebody in Guatemala put the juju on me. I don't know. And so I'm praying, you know, devil, you're not going to hold me back. But inside, I'm freaking out. I, I don't know what's going on. I remember sitting on the front row, standing on the front row. Worship was going on. My hands were numb. My heart felt like it was going to burst out of my chest. Everything started to close in. And I don't know what it feels like to die, but I thought I was. I finally turned to my wife and I said, I can't do this. She goes, what do you mean you can't do this? I said, I can't preach. She looked at me like, well, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know, but I cannot go up on that platform. I'm not going to do it. There's just no way that I can do this. And she, she looked at me like her eyes just got huge and was like, I don't know what to do. Like, there's nobody else. There's not like a second string here. And she ended up doing, she stepped in, did a testimony service. The second service, exactly the same thing happened. The following week, the exact same thing happened, except I found myself in a ball in the closet, wondering what in the world am I doing? I'm a failure. And this began a, um, an understanding of panic attacks. I was having panic attacks. I'd never had panic attacks before. I went to the doctor, and he says, you're having panic attacks. And I said, I'm thinking, you know, like one of those straight jackets in a rubber room. I didn't know. Like, that's what I thought. I, I'd never been nervous. I said, I'm not nervous. And he said, your adrenal system is completely wrecked. Um, you know, you're, you're 25 pounds overweight, Troy. You are, you're a mess. And I, I lied to my wife. I lied to my friends. I was so afraid. I'm a pastor, y'all. I'd started a church. You know, I was a pretty successful business guy before I started the church. And every Sunday I would sit on the front row and I'd be afraid of having another panic attack. And I'm supposed to be leading these 300 people. I'm supposed to be raising $120,000 and putting my name on a mortgage for $1.5 million dollars. And inside, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. This began a journey. I got on medication. I got off medication. I got worse. I got back on medication. I got off medication. I got worse. It took me about eight, nine, ten years to understand what was going on on the inside of me. And this is where I want to just maybe help you today. Because I feel like in the room... There's probably many of us, number one, who are dealing with something like this, whether it's depression or anxiety disorder or panic attacks or suicidal thoughts, some type of mental health. Now, listen to me. I don't believe that the devil causes it all the time. However, I believe that he will use it to hold you captive for the rest of your life if you'll let him. There are lots of different dimensions to this whole issue. I was talking to a friend of mine, Dr. Uh, Trey Tucker. He, uh, he's become a really close friend. He's out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he told me that since 2020, the pandemic, anxiety disorder has risen by 25% and is now the number one cause of mental health in America. I read another report today that said 31% of Americans suffer with depression anxiety disorder, or panic attacks. 
31%. And those are the people that have actually said something. In this room right now, there's pro- a third of you are dealing with something. Probably another 25% are afraid to talk about it because you don't know what's going on. And so the Lord gave me a prophetic word to speak over you specifically. And I, I want to pray, I want to just speak something over you before we get into this, this message, okay? So if you are, and I know this might be a big issue, if you're dealing with depression, if you're dealing with anxiety, panic, or even suicidal thoughts, would you do me a favor? Would you just stand up on your feet real quick? Just stand up for me. Just stand up right where you are. Come on, stand up. Can we give them a hand clap as they do it? Maybe... Maybe you have a close friend or family member that's dealing with, stay standing for me, stay standing. Maybe you have a close friend or family member that's dealing, would you stand up for me as well? Would you stand up? Would you stand up? Now, I want you to notice that it's probably about half the room. Here's what I know. Many of the ones that are still sitting down, some of them are, are, are in denial of what's going on. And it's okay. Look, you're in a safe place. I want you to understand that. But I want to, I I want to pray over you what the Lord told me to say over you. I wrote it down, so I'm going to read it over you. So just just receive this today in your life. Okay, listen to me. God knows what you're going through, and he loves you. He wants to give you freedom, blessing, influence, anointing, and protection. God knows your thoughts, and he promises to renew your mind as you take those thoughts captive, and and he promises to release you as you make them obedient to Christ. God knows your weaknesses, and he promised to give you the strength right in the midst of them. Listen to me. Christ in you is stronger than the depression, anxiety, fear, and hopelessness in you. God knows your gifts, and he has a unique assignment for you. You can wake up with purpose, direction, and meaning every day of your life. Listen to me, the world will be different and better because you showed up, because of who you are, what you do, and what you say in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Come on, let's give them a hand again. So what does, what does the Bible say about mental health? I wanna give you two verses that you can live on. Psalms 34, verse 17, the righteous cry out, And the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. I love love the second part. Verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Isaiah 12, 12. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Today I want to just talk to you a little bit about my, one of my favorite Bible characters, uh, Elijah. Elijah. And we can learn some things. I've learned in the last 16 years some really good things from Elijah that'll help you. Now, this one message, 30 minutes or whatever, I think I have 15 left, um, you know, it's not going to just get rid of everything in one fell swoop, okay? But maybe this will start you on a journey. I think there are several Bible characters that dealt with mental health. I think, I think David definitely, King David had some problems. Okay, I, I think Paul, I know he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, but I think he had some challenges. King Saul, we know he had problems. He tried to kill David. David had to play a guitar and help him a little bit to get him out of the distressing spirits that were on him. I think John, one of the disciples, I mean, he cried a lot. I mean, that's just definitely a sign. 
We meet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 7. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab. He was, he was inserted into history when Israel was at its worst. Had the worst king and queen in history, Ahab and Jezebel. And he comes to Ahab and as the Lord, and he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I serve... And I stand, there shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. Here's what I know, a principle in Scripture, and I think it repeats itself in history. Whenever things get real evil, God raises up a prophet. Things get really bad, God raises up a prophet. I think in America, things are really bad, God's going to raise up a prophet. I don't think that prophet's going to be one person. I think it's going to be the voice of the church. And so, so I think it's happening right now. But I can tell you, it's probably going to get a little bit worse before that prophetic voice rises up. You see it all through Scripture. Elijah thought he was all alone. He thought he was doing everything all by himself. He thought he was the only hope. He thought he, thought he had to do it all by himself. Let me tell you, that's exactly what I felt like. What I had done with the church is exactly what I wasn't supposed to do as a pastor. See, my job as a pastor is to not love God's bride. It's to feed it and let him love it. See, but, but I had it backwards, okay? I, I, was, I was actually in love with the church ministry. I found my identity in it. And, and it put me in a bad place. Elijah was in that same situation. So he, he faces the worst king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel. If you don't know who Jezebel is, she's the one that started the whole Housewives series. And Housewives of Israel, Housewives of Atlanta, Housewives of Malibu Beach. It's, Jezebel started the whole thing. She was crazy, wanted to kill Elijah. He had done a few personal miracles, fed a widow, raised a kid from, back from, from, the, from dead, and, and he was a household name. He was being accused. He was hated. He was chased. And then he, he went up again against the, the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah. There were 850 of them. And he said, listen, we're going to have a, a showdown in front of the whole, the whole uh, nation of Israel. And wh whoever shows up, whatever God shows up, that's the one, that's the Lord. So 850 against one. They do their thing. Nothing happens. He steps up. By himself, he takes apart a bull. By himself, he digs a trench. By himself, he repairs the altar. By himself, he builds another altar. By himself, he prays, fire comes down. By himself, he executes all 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And then he calls down rain out of heaven. It is stopped for, he stopped rain three years, and now he calls rain into existence. Then he runs... Almost 20, almost a marathon, almost 25 miles faster than the, the fastest chariot, Ahab's chariot. And then we catch up with him in 1 Kings chapter 19. I love the honesty of scripture. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a tweet to Elijah. Saying, I'll prove it to you, there's a tweet. So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of those by tomorrow about this time. Verse 3, and when he saw that, tweet, he saw it. He arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, 
and left his servant there. Important. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough. Okay, this is a prophet who did all that stuff I just listed. He says, it's enough. God, take my life. Kill me. I don't want to live anymore. Then he lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you, Elijah. So he rose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as the, the, of Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Remember, God never asks you a question because he doesn't know the answer. Elijah didn't know where he, why he was there. So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. We can learn a lot from Elijah. If you want to know what it feels like, because my wife asks me all the time, because she's never had a panic attack. She's never had anxiety disorder. She's like, what does it feel like? Let me give you a picture if you've never experienced anything like this. Pretend that you're treading water, okay, and somebody throws you a 50-pound dumbbell, and all you can think about is keeping your head above water. That's what it feels like. And when that happens, you end up losing focus on everything around you. And all you can focus on is keeping your head up. All you can focus on is trying to not have another panic attack again. Or anxiety again. Or depression again. That's what it feels like. Now I know it's difficult to put yourself in that position. But that's what... Elijah was going through, that's what I was going through, and that's what many of us are dealing with. So I want to give you just, just four things that I've learned from Elijah's life. If you want to write these down, I call them the four R's. Four R's. Don't look at all four of them. Maybe just look at one if you're dealing with anxiety or depression or some type of mental health. And the first one came about when I was having a conversation with my counselor. So I've been in counseling for a long time because I need it. I'm jacked up, man. I told you, I'm jacked. Just read my book. My wife will tell you. By the way, tell her we had a packed house today because I was preaching <laughs> at South End. Make sure you tweet, send her a DM. Say, man, it was full today because we came to hear Pastor Troy. <laughs> so I was having this conversation with my counselor because, honestly, my wife and I had gotten this argument. Intense, we call, in Christian, you call it intense fellowship. Okay, so... And, and so we're, we're, she, you know, and she pays the counselor to tell me that it's my fault whenever there's problems. If you didn't know why your wife wants you to go to counseling, it's because she's paid them to tell you, him, that you're, it's your fault. I, try, I tried to pay him more, and he wouldn't take the money. And so, so I'm sitting there talking, and he asked me this question. And I want you to think about this. What is the greatest indicator of health? What do you think? What do you think is the greatest indicator of health? Just yell, yell it out. What do, you, what do you think? Just yell it out. Say again. Joys. Peace. What else? Relationships. What else? What do you think? Greatest indi indicator of health. 
What do you think? Any, anybody else? It wasn't said. Those are all good. But he told me the greatest indicator of health is your ability to recover. How well do you recover? See, he, he was telling me specifically, relationally, he said, how long does it take for you to get over that argument that you have with your wife? He said, the more spiritually mature can do fast. And I'm like, really? I said, well, how long did it take her? You know. <laughs> He wouldn't tell me, by the way, because that's a good counselor. But you can, you can put this in any, of, any situation. Relationally, how long does it take you to recover? Physically, how long does it take you to recover? I wear a whoop band. Any whoopers in the house? Raise your hand if you're a whoop bander. Okay, we got a few of you. A few of you. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a little obsessed with my whoop band. I don't wear a watch. It doesn't have a watch on it. It doesn't have a clock on it. There's tons of fitness aids out there. But one of the things I love about the Whoop Band is it tracks not just my exercise and my heart rate, but it tells me how well I recover. And it bases it on a few things, a few key indicators that shows me how well I come into the next day. It tells me this is what you can do based on your recovery. See, you are either in one of two stages in your life right now. You are either in recovery or you are in discovery. Most people that are dealing with, like Elijah and myself, panic attack and disorder are living in recovery. And the moment that you become aware of what's going on, the faster you can get out of it. If you're just treading water holding that 50-town dumbbell, you're never going to get out of it. But the moment that you can realize that God's got you and he's going to hold you up and you will not drown is the moment that you'll become aware by the power of God what is actually causing that issue. For me, a counselor helped. For me, medication helped. Nothing wrong with medication because medication will help you know what normal feels like so you can get back there again. Are you following me? He said, well, that doesn't require any faith. Well, you might not have any faith right now to keep your treadmill going. Maybe you need a little bit of a push, some help to get you there. So it could be trauma. It could be emotional, chemical, relational, environmental, spiritual. Who knows? But if we can get out of recovery into discovery, God will show us this is the area. It was 10 years ago, and you're living there right now. It's chemical, and you can fix this right now. So how fast do you recover? How fast do you recover mentally, emotionally, spiritually? Now, if you're unable to recover, ask yourself a few questions. Are you saying yes too often? Because you need to learn how to say no. You can't tell everybody yes. You have to say no sometimes. Are there people in your life that you're enabling? <clears throat> Especially if you have a high mercy gift. If you have a high mercy gift sometimes what will happen is you'll want it more than the person you're helping wants it. And then you're enabling them, and they're just using you to prop themselves up, and honestly, you're using them to feel better about yourself. So are you enabling people? Are, are you, do you have the right mix of people in your life? I think there are three types of people you should always have in your life. People you talk to, people you talk with, and people who talk to you. 
Are you, are you outside of your lane, your gifting? Do you have clear boundaries? Maybe you need to reset those boundaries. Jeremiah 17, verse 14 says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. The second thing Elijah needed is he needed rest. He needed recovery. He needed rest. It says, and he lay there, verse 5 and 6, slept under the boon tree, and so he ate and drank and lay down. Now, I'm not just talking about a nap. I love naps. Any fellow nappers in the house? I oh, man, I love a nap. There's nothing better. You know, today, good day for a nap. Pretty much any day is a good day for a nap. I'm a professional napper. If you want to get like nap 301 and 401, come talk to me. I know how to do coffee naps. I can do a nap in eight minutes. I can do a 30-minute nap. I can do a four-hour nap. Whatever you need, I got it for you. I can, I, but see, rest is not just a nap. Rest is a weapon, it's not a weakness. And the moment that you can learn how to rest, Hebrews chapter four tells us that there, there remains a rest that we can enter into with God, a, a, a connection with him. Rest is a force if you do it right. It's never a waste of time. I know, I know what happens. We think, well, I'm gonna lag back if I take a break. And the truth is, if you don't, Take a break, it'll be forced upon you. I mean, it's the fourth commandment in the, ten, in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath. Jesus, I know it's cliche, but, but God took a rest. He, he created the earth in six days, and then he took a break. Why don't you think we should take a break? We have to take a break. In the 1840s and 50s, the population of New York City was growing just exponentially. There were hundreds of thousands of people, and they knew the city was going to explode. And so they had a contest to invite architects and engineers to create a space, a park that people could go to. And so this guy named Olmsted and Vall won the contest, and they carved out 843 acres in the middle of New York City. What they didn't know is that New York City would grow from hundreds of thousands of people to multi-millions of people very quickly. And we all know that as Central Park. It's a beautiful place to go. And it's, if you look at a map, it's right in the center of the city. This metropolis, every, this action going on, everybody moving and shaking. And then there's this piece of ground right in the middle. That's what rest looks like. And you have to carve it out. You're the one who has to actually create your own central park in your life. Do you have one? Let me give you a plan that will help you. I call it the 777 plan. It's a good place to start. If you have a hard time resting, let me give you a plan, a real quick, easy thing that you can do. 777, write those three numbers. Seven. Every seven days, take a day off. Every seven days, take a day off. It's called the Sabbath. Take a day off. What do I do on my day off? You have four buckets that are completely and constantly being drained. A physical bucket, a mental bucket, an emotional bucket, and a spiritual bucket. On your day off, try to hit all four of those buckets. Rest physically, rest mentally, rest emotionally, rest spiritually. Whatever it takes to fill up those buckets, do it. Because they all have holes in them. In the other six days, they're draining out. And so every seven days, take a day off. My day off is on Monday. Don't call me on Monday, not answering. Well, I'm dying, pastor, call Matt. (laughs) I'm 
Okay, his day off is not on Mondays. Mine is. My staff knows, don't call me on Mondays. I don't check emails on Monday. I, don't do, I do very little on Mondays other than things that I like to do. So I hang out with my wife. We go to lunch together. I sleep in a little bit. I, I chill. I spend a little extra time in the Bible. And, and I do stuff that recharges me, that reconnects me. Every seven weeks, enjoy a weekend. Take a weekend off every seven weeks. Fit it in your schedule. You don't, you don't have to go to Cancun. Look, go to Gastonia. It's close. <laughs> Sorry, those of you all from Gastonia. That was mean, wasn't it? True, but mean. Every seven months. So every seven days, take a day off. Every seven weeks, take a weekend. Every seven months, take a vacation. Just make it every seven months. Again, you don't have to go away somewhere. You don't have to go long distance away. Take a stay-at-home vacation. Shut the phones off. Hang with your family. Spend some time together. Recharge. Get that physical, mental, emotional, spiritual bucket. Plug the holes up. Fill it back up. Recovery. Rest. Here's the third one. Elijah needed relationship. I don't know why, but he left his servant there. He left his friend. I never saw that until just recently. He left his servant there. Whenever, for some reason, when we go through bouts of anxiety and depression and panic, we remove ourselves from the very relationships that can help us. We lie to those people that are around us that really want to help us. We isolate and insulate ourselves. I did it. I thought being alone was the answer. I thought, you know, especially me, I thought, man, if I tell these people, especially as a guy, you know, if I tell people what I'm really going through, they're going to think I'm weak. What I didn't realize, look at me, is a lot of guys deal with it. What I didn't realize, a lot of real strong pastor friends of mine were struggling with anxiety. When I tell the story among ministry friends, they'll pull me aside, grab me and go, hey, can you, can you talk to me a little bit? Can I take you to lunch? I want to learn a little bit more about what's going on. Because I've had the exact same happen. I'm, I'm talking about guys, if I said their name and you're kind of in the Christian know, you would know every single one of their names. All of them have taken me out to lunch because they want to know what the heck is going on in their world. Elijah needed relationships. Listen, relationships are one of the hardest things in life, but they are the most rewarding things in life. They're hard. Being married is hard, isn't it? Good gracious. It is hard. Brian, Molly, get ready. I mean, y'all got a few weeks. Good. It's hard, man. It's hard. I, um, I have a bucket list. And on my bucket list, one of the things that I want to do is I want to go on a safari. I'm almost done, okay? Just, just a couple more minutes. I want to go on a safari. And it's, I think it's because I watched Mutual of Omaha growing up. You know, Wild Kingdom. Anybody over 40 know what I'm talking about? Yeah, come on. All the old people are like, yeah, I remember that, Pastor. <laughs> Amen. That and Hungry Man. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and so I did a lot of research on going on a safari. And they, so they put you on a truck and they drive you through, you know, the whatever, the woods or whatever it's called there. The wilderness, the safari, the, the desert. And this is what they say over and over. Don't 
get out of the truck. You know, because the, the animals come up to the truck. They just kind of walk around. The cheetah's just walking around the truck. You're like, you can reach down there and pet them. They said, don't do that. Don't ever reach outside the truck. Just stay in the truck. And so I did, dug a little deeper, and they said, the reason why you stay in the truck is because when they see the truck, they see this big animal, all one unit. If you get out of the truck, now you're no longer big. You are dinner. Church, why do we get out of the truck when it comes to church? Why is it that when we go through something, we immediately disconnect from the truck? The Bible says that the devil is, is roaming, seeking whom he may devour. You know what he's looking for? Those of you that got out of the truck. I need a break. I'll quit serving. You got out of the truck. I'm not going to do life groups this semester. You just got out of the truck. I'm only going to come to church once a month, you know, because that's all I need. You are out of the truck. And the devil is watching. He sees this and he's afraid. But the moment we disconnect ourselves and we get out of the truck, he's going to pick us off. And I see it happen all the time. I don't know what it is about anxiety and depression and those those things that are those internal issues that we just keep getting out of the truck. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, he said, come to me all those that are heavy laden and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Look, the most important relationship you can have is with Jesus, yes. But also you need people in your world that can encourage you, pick you up when you fall down, be there in the truck with you. Yeah, they're going to get on your nerves a lot. I mean, they're going to say terrible things to you. Horrible Christians, Bible people, they're going to be mean. But stay in the truck. Stay in the truck. One of the traps of relationship that we found right now in the 21st century is social media. Social media is not a relationship. Let me say that again. It will never take place than this right here. This right here. It won't. It can't. Social media is a trap for depression and anxiety. It, it creates a fake sense of belonging and will isolate from your, friends, you, from your friends and your family. It doesn't give you intimacy. It may feel that way, but it's not intimate at all. The Economist report in 2017 that said 63% of IG users, Instagram users, report being miserable, spending less than an hour a day on social media. They feel miserable. It creates poor emotional regulation, an inability to move flexible between different emotional situations in different states. It creates a low self-esteem, limited coping skills. Let me give you just one thought. Just quit for a while. You don't have to be on Instagram. It's not that we used to not have it. And we did okay. You don't have to be on TikTok. Nobody, I mean, honestly, another dancing video. There's plenty on there. Just take a break. Fast it. Completely drop it out. Just remove it from your phone. If, if you're addicted to it, get somebody to hold you accountable. 
and walk away from it. Elijah needed recovery. He needed rest. He needed relationship. Last one, and then I'm done, is he needed a reason. Carl Menninger is the leading psychiatrist, and he, um, he was the guy who discovered PTSD. He, kinda, he wrote most of the books on depression and anxiety and, and specifically the, the process when somebody goes through the thoughts of killing themselves. And so they asked him one day, they said, hey, as a psychiatrist, um, what would you tell someone who is in a depressive state and they want to kill themselves? What would you tell them? And everybody thought that they knew the answer. You know, get a counselor, get on medication, get yourself straight, you know. And, and he told them, totally blew them away. They said, get out of bed. This is what he said. He said, the answer is you got to get out of bed. You got to find somebody that needs help and help them. Because the moment that you help someone find their purpose, you'll find yours. The moment that you help somebody find their purpose, you find yours. A reason. Elijah, he wanted to kill himself, and God said, No, 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 Elijah. There's more for you to do. And so the Lord said to him, verse 15, he said, go return your way to the wilderness of the Damascus. And when you arrive there, I need you to anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, I need you to anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over um, Israel, over Syria. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Maholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel... Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha would kill. In other words, Elijah, there's more for you to accomplish. You're not done. You're not finished. And then he said, yet I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, hey, Elijah, you got some friends, man. You're not all by yourself. People understand. Mendez brought this up in the last service that uh, they were studying James. <coughs> and it says that Elijah had a nature like ours. I think this is part of why we can connect with him and learn from him. So I want you to stand with me today. And I want to pray for you real quick before we go. I know I, 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 just, I just prophesied over you, gave you just kind of a, a declaration of what God thinks. But I want to, I want to, engage you in this process what one of those four r's that you need to work on have you got out of the truck have you have you stepped away from your reason let me tell you the best way to get it start serving helping somebody just talk to one of the leaders here today and guest central and say hey i need to start serving i don't know what i'm supposed to do don't don't overthink it just get involved well that's not what i like to do it's okay i started watching three-year-olds they peed on me. That's where I started doing ministry. And so, I mean, he'll work. He'll take care of it. You just, you just submit yourself to, you just give yourself to God and he'll give you some direction. He'll give you a reason. Maybe you need some rest. Maybe you need to take some time off of work. Maybe you need to kind of just dial it down a little bit. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just so driven. Yeah, I was too until I hit the wall and I had to really get my life in order if I wanted to live longer. 
had to really make some changes because my wife and my kids told me I need you more than just another 10 years. And so I'm going to be around for a while, just letting you know. I'm not going anywhere. I got a good 30 years left in me, at least 30 years. So I might not be preaching, but I'll be sitting on the front row shouting those guys on, Amen, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Still doing CrossFit at 85. I will. You watch. You watch and see. So if you're, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're, if you're dealing with depression, if you've had some suicidal thoughts, let me tell you, first of all, that is not from God. And you're worth way more than that. And we need you. We need you. If you're struggling with depression, anxiety, panic, I want you to just close your eyes, lift your hands up to heaven. And I just believe that God's going to give you a fresh wind, just a fresh touch of his presence. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And I I believe that today is your day, just in your own, maybe even in your own words, just right now say, God, I need a a fresh touch of your presence. I I need some fresh direction, Lord. I need a fresh reason, God. Speak to me. God, God, would you, would you help me get back in the truck? I jumped out. I've been running around. The devil knocked me down a few times, but I'm ready to get back in the truck. Maybe that means giving your life to Jesus again. Maybe you fell away from God and you're ready to give your life back to Jesus. He's missed you. I can tell you right now. He loves you, cares for you. Maybe you need to get some rest. Engage that 777 plan. Maybe, maybe you just need to get out of recovery into discovery. God, give me, make me aware. Help me in Jesus' name. God, I pray that a fresh wind of your presence, a fresh wind of your spirit would come. Why don't we just, just sing this chorus one time? Because God is so good. Can we just, all of us in this room, just lift our hands, close our eyes. I think we know this song. Rose, will you just lead us? Thank you, Jesus. Sing it out to him. 
oppressive anxiety panic fear would be lifted off God father I just pray that freedom would come in Jesus name we love you so much God in Jesus precious name and everybody said come on give God a big hand clap